Listen to Sunday Morning Magazine no matter what day it is. Use your favorite podcast app and subscribe to Sunday Morning Magazine with Rodney Lear today. Now, back to Sunday Morning Magazine with Rodney Lear. And welcome back to Sunday Morning Magazine. My next guest joins me over the phone. Dr. Gary Chapman is the author of two books. The first title is Profit Sharing, The Chapman Guide to Making Money an Asset in Your Marriage. He's also the author of Now What? The Chapman Guide to Marriage After Children. It's our pleasure to welcome Dr. Gary Chapman to the show. Well, it's good to be with you, Rodney. Now, first of all, before we get started with the interview, tell us about your professional background. Well, I have worked in marriage and family counseling for over 30 years now, trying to help people in practical issues and learning how to relate to each other and have the kind of marriage that people want to have. Now, you have two new books out. The books are the third and fourth books in a series. Explain to us the concept behind the series and why you decided to put the series together. Well, what I wanted to do was to do single-topic books, that is, rather than dealing with, you know, eight or ten issues in marriage and family, just to deal with one issue. So they're little books that can be read rather quickly and just focus in on one aspect of marriage and family life. And in case you're just tuning in, you're listening to Sunday Morning Magazine. I'm Rodney Lear. On the phone with me is Dr. Gary Chapman. He's the author of two books. The first title is Now What? The other title is Profit Sharing. Now let's start with the new book, Now What? The Chapman Guide to Marriage After Children. Explain to us how the dynamics of marriage change once a child enters into the picture. Well, obviously, uh, when there's only the two of you, there are only two opinions, there are only, you know, two ideas, and the two of you can process life, sometimes with difficulty, but you learn to process life. But when a child comes, you have a whole new dimension of life. It's no longer simply work and uh, chores around the house. There's another person there that has to be cared for, and somebody has to care for the child. It's going to take a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of effort. And the question is, whose time, you know, whose energy, whose effort? And often, couples find themselves disagreeing on who is going to do what with regard to the child. Okay, so obviously that's something you need to talk about before you have the child. I think that's ideal. Uh, I find many couples don't. (laughs) Many couples have the idea that, you know, this child is going to come, we're going to love this child, everything's going to be wonderful, and they're really not very realistic. But it's far better before the child comes, to say, you know, okay, how is this going to affect uh, our jobs? Like if both of you are working, how is this going to affect? And is one of us going to drop out for a while and stay with the child full time? Or will we get a babysitter? Or, you know, do we have parents that are going to help us in this process? Uh, What are we going to do about this? And how will this impact our vocations? Uh, So, you know, there are a lot of issues that, uh, that could be discussed before the child comes. Now, you say that there are some signs that indicate that a couple is ready to start a family. What are those signs? Well, I think, first of all, they have a good relationship with each other. If you don't have a good relationship with each other, don't expect a child to give you a good marriage. I run into that and I have through the years that some people think, you know, we're struggling and we're not getting along real well, but we'll get a baby and the baby will bring us together. That's not the purpose of babies. Babies don't bring parents together. In fact, often babies become the source of division in between a husband and a wife. So uh, what I say is make sure that you have a rather healthy relationship before you have a baby. At least that's the ideal. 
Uh, that is, uh, when I say healthy, I mean that you know how to listen to each other, you know how to entertain the other's ideas even when you disagree. Uh, you don't waste your time arguing with each other, you know, and winning an argument, but you try to listen to each other and find a workable solution to whatever your differences are. Uh, and you've learned how to accept some things about your spouse that you may not like, but you recognize that's a part of who they are, and they're not likely to change. So a pretty high level of learning how to work through conflicts and learning how to accept differences is the ideal before you have a child. And again this morning, we're speaking to Dr. Gary Chapman. He's the author of two new books, What Now? The Chapman Guide to Marriage After Children and Profit Sharing. Right now, we're talking about the book, Now What? Now, what are some of the biggest challenges that couples face after the birth of a child? Well, I think one thing is just the time issue. There's a lot of time that's going to have to be spent with the child. And uh, let's face it, uh, you know, time, we're, we live in a time-pressured world, and a child simply compounds that problem. So making some fundamental decisions about our time is going to be a big issue. And this is where in the book I discuss as a solution to that, uh, getting the child on a schedule from the very beginning of a child's life. If you can help a child get on a schedule, you're far more likely to be able to cope with the time pressures uh, what amazes me is that many couples have never even thought of this. They just allow the child's crying uh, to dictate, you know, everything about the child. If the child cries, you give the child undivided attention. If the child's not crying, you leave them in the crib. Yeah, that's not a good pattern, you know. Getting a child on a regular eating pattern, a regular sleeping pattern, and then as the child gets a little older, you know, uh, room time and time to be with the parent. I mean, there's all sorts of things we do to schedule the time for the child. And when you do, you also make time for yourselves as parents. So the time issue is a big issue. Uh, another issue often is money, because let's face it, children are expensive. Uh, you know, they're certainly wonderful, but they, they're expensive. You, there's clothes to buy. There's formula in the early years. I mean, there's all sorts of things. And if you already happen to have money pressures, then the child is going to bring more pressure in that area. So I, did, I discuss in the book, you know, ways of uh, dealing with that. Uh, you know, fundamentally, there's only two approaches. One is you ask, uh, how can we make more money? The other is, how can we cut some expenses so that we can, you know, live with less? And I give practical ideas. So, you know, for example, many people are fully willing to pass their clothes along to another couple who has a child. You know, but their child has outgrown the clothes, but the clothes are perfectly fine. And they would love to pass them along. Well, you can save hundreds of dollars simply by accepting from friends, uh, you know, their used clothes that, that you can now, uh, you know, use for your children free. So there's lots of ways to do that. But money is, uh, is a major issue. And another major issue is the discipline of children. As the child gets a little older, we often have different ideas on how to discipline a child because we grew up in different homes. So that becomes also uh, source of frustration. And again, we're speaking to Dr. Gary Chapman. The title of the book is What Now? The Chapman Guide to Marriage After Children. Now, let me ask you this now. You kind of touched on this, but what can you do to keep the romance alive in a marriage once a child comes along? What advice would you give couples there? Well, I think that is really, really important, Rodney, uh, because if we let our relationship uh, just die, then we're not going to end up being good parents. 
the child's going to really push us apart. So you really have to work to keep the romance alive in a relationship. Uh, so some of the things I, I say to the couple is you, you need to schedule the child and your lives in such a way that the two of you have time together. I mean, you can't, you can't substitute time together. So the couple needs to have some time, whether you call it a date night or whether you just simply, you know, don't have a title for it, but you just spend time together. Uh, but the idea is you, you've got to have time to develop your own relationship. So that's, that's a major issue. I think also uh, processing your differences is really, really important because if you end up arguing over your differences, arguments kill romance because, let's face it, if you win the argument, your spouse lost the argument, and it's not much fun to live with a loser. So what I say is don't create situations where you get into arguments so that one of you has to win and one of you has to lose. Learn how to listen to each other. Try to look for a solution, not, not a win over the other person, but a solution that you both can agree on. And when you do that, it fosters the romantic relationship. When you respect your, pers- your spouse enough to listen to their ideas and hear them out and affirm the idea and then share your idea and let them listen to you and affirm your idea, then the two of you can find something that's workable, and you both come out winners. And consequently, the romantic part of the relationship is much better because you've treated each other with dignity and respect. All right. And again, this morning, we're speaking to Dr. Gary Chapman. I'm Rodney Lear. You're listening to Sunday Morning Magazine. Now, Dr. Chapman, in the book, Now What?, you say that couples often argue over whether the child should be the priority or the marriage should be the priority. Is there an easy answer to this question? Well, I think that uh, many, many couples do make this a dichotomy. And some will reason, well, you know the child has to be the priority because the child can't do anything for themselves, at least in the early years. And others will say, no, 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 the marriage has to be the priority because that's the primary relationship, you know, that we were together before the child came, and we're going to be together when the child is gone. And so they argue over whether or not marriage is the priority or the child is the priority. And what I say is, stop arguing. It's not an issue. Both of these are priorities. Certainly, we've got to keep the marriage alive and healthy and growing. Certainly, we've got to care for the child. They're both priorities. And if you, if you don't make a dichotomy, but you simply say to each other, you know, both of these things are important to us, and we're going to find time, we're going to find money, we're going to find energy uh, in order to keep our marriage growing and also to be good parents. The reality is if you don't keep your marriage going and keep it healthy, you're not going to be good parents. So I think uh, don't wait, what I say is don't waste time arguing over which is the priority. Just accept the reality. They're both priorities, and we can make time to, to do both of them and do them well. And again, this morning, we're speaking to Dr. Gary Chapman. He's the author of two new books. The first title is Now What? The Chapman Guide to Marriage After Children. He's also the author of Profit Sharing. Now, let's talk about Profit Sharing. In the book, you offer ideas for managing your finances. Now, let me ask you this. You're the expert. Is money the number one cause of divorce? And why do couples fight so often about money? Well, you know, a lot of research indicates that money ranks near the top of conflict areas for couples. 
Now, to be very honest with you, in my own counseling, I have not found that to be true, though I must admit there are a number of couples who do struggle over, over money, and that's why I wrote the book, because it is a significant area of conflict. And, and I think it's not so much, Rodney, how much money uh, couples have. It's their attitude toward money, and it's the way they handle money that makes it an asset or a liability to the marriage. And so what I'm doing in the book is trying to help people look at their attitudes about money and, uh, and then look at the manner in which they handle money. Uh, for example, you know, if you handle the money in such a way that one of you comes out being a parent and the other comes out being a child, that's not a good way to handle the money. And the conflict is really not over money. It's over how the money is handled and how it makes the other person feel, the one who's a child, how it makes them feel. So I'm trying to focus in on having you know, positive attitudes about money and also uh, uh, assessing uh, how the two of them handle money. Okay, Dr. Chapman, let me ask you this, because this can be very difficult for some couples. Many couples now are maintaining separate bank accounts. Do you think this is healthy for a new marriage? My suggestion, Rodney, always is to have joint bank accounts. Now, I know there are certain situations in which uh, to have separate accounts may be, uh, may be wise. But by and large, uh, we come to marriage with the concept, at least in my opinion, if we, if we have a healthy attitude, we come to marriage with the idea that it's not your money and my money, it's our money. Because we're bringing our lives together to be a new unit, to be a team. We trust each other. If we didn't trust each other, we wouldn't be getting married. So uh, let, let's not, you know, divide the money up and have your money and my money. Now, when I say that, however, I want to add rather quickly that it's fine, in my opinion, that each of you have some monies that you can do what you want to with. That is, it's okay to have some monies. Uh, but, but as a general rule, the bulk of the money, in my opinion, is best to be kept in a joint account and obviously one of you is going to keep books on that. Uh, typically, I, I say choose the best partner, the one that enjoys doing that or the one who's best at doing that. But it's not their money simply because they're keeping the books. It's our money, and they happen to be doing that for us. So uh, to me, it, the joint account makes more sense, and it pictures our commitment to each other when we come to join our lives together. Now, let me ask you this, Dr. Chapman. What advice would you give to new couples as they struggle to create a budget in the household? Well, my first suggestion is don't sit down and try to come up with a budget. <laughs> the first thing you do is keep records for two or three months on all the money that comes in and where it came from, all the money you spend and what you spend it for, all the money you give away, and all the money that you save. Now, I give those three categories because ultimately, that's all you can do with money. You can spend it, you can save it, or you can give it away. So you keep records for two or three months on all of these areas. Then you sit down and look at it together, and you are looking at your budget. At least that was your budget for the last three months. You see, a budget is simply a plan for handling your money. And even though you had never drawn up a formal budget, this is your informal budget. This is your plan. It was your plan the last three months. Then you can analyze the plan, and you can say to each other, you know, do we feel good about how much we're saving or how much we're giving? Or when we look at what we're spending, are the bases all being covered? Are we, are we missing any bills? Uh, 
and you can decide then, do we need to cut back on certain things? Do we need to save more? Do we need to save less at this point in our lives? And, and together then you can map out a potential budget. That is one you're going to try for the next three months. And, and then the next three months you can fine-tune it again. And so over a period of about a year, you get a rather workable budget that the two of you can follow. And uh, again, I emphasize that in a budget, there needs to be some monies that each of you can do what you want to with. That is, I say that because I, it's unhealthy when one of you has to go to the other and say, may I have $5 for lunch or may I have this for that? You know, that makes one of you a child, and that's not a marriage relationship. And again, this morning, in case you're just tuning in, we're speaking to Dr. Gary Chapman. He's the author of two books, Now What? and Profit Sharing, Making Money an Asset in Your Marriage. I'm Rodney Lear. You're listening to Sunday Morning Magazine. Now, you offer four creative ways for couples to save money. Tell us about those. Well, I think there are lots of ways that people can save money, uh, but I'll just throw out a few of them. One of them is uh, discount shopping. You know, if you look at in any community, there are certain stores that are known as discount stores. And everybody knows that, by and large, things at those stores will be cheaper. So even if you have to travel a little further to get to those stores, it's one way of saving money. And, and, if, and if you also couple with that coupons that that store may have or coupons you can use in that store, you can save even more money. Uh, another is what I call recycle shopping. Uh, that is, you shop at Goodwill and Salvation Army and consignment stores. And most of the time, the things you buy in those stores are perfectly good and have many years of usefulness, but they cost much less than the new item would. So recycle shopping is a way of saving money. And then I have what I call free shopping. (laughs) uh, And this is two or three ways. One, you can drive through the neighborhood uh, when people put out the the things that they don't want and the city's going to pick them up. You can drive through the neighborhood and to see if you might find something that would be helpful for your children or your family. And often people are discarding things, not because they're no longer useful, but because they don't need them any longer. So that's free shopping. Another way to free shop. That's a bit extreme, doctor. (laughs) Okay, extreme. Uh, But another way, and this is not as extreme, is tell your parents, make suggestions to them on what they might buy the children, for example, on their birthdays. I mean, the parents, the grandparents are going to buy things, Mm -hmm. so they may as well buy something that's going to be helpful for the children. So... And they would be happy to do that. And so, you know, you're getting it free. The parents are paying for it, and they're happy to do it. And another, th- another way to get free shopping is let your friends know uh, that you're open to hand-me-downs, you know, to, to their old toys or their old clothes for their children, that you'd be happy to receive those for your children. And, and, that, and most of the time, those people are happy to find a couple that's willing to receive them. And, and you're looking at good clothes and good toys. It's just their children have outgrown those. So it's what I call free shopping. And then another way is a seasonal shopping. And most people are aware of this, that uh, it always pays to buy things, particularly clothing, on the off-season. Don't buy them when they co- winter clothes when they first come out. Buy your winter clothes at the end of the season uh, for the next season. They're always cheaper. So seasonal shopping. So really, and these are just, just uh, you know, some creative ways. If you think, you can find lots of other ways to save money. Uh, most couples could save lots of money if they just applied a little creativity 
uh, in their shopping. All right. Good advice. And again, this morning, in case you're just tuning in, we're speaking to Dr. Gary Chapman, author of the books, Now What? and Profit Sharing. Now, what advice would you offer to couples that are in extreme credit card debt? Well, I would say, first of all, credit card debt is the worst kind of debt you can have because you're paying probably 18 to 21% interest on credit card debt, and that's about the highest credit you could ever get. So uh, two or three things. One, it would be wise for you to sit down with uh, someone, even even someone at a bank, and just say, you know, here's where I am. Uh, is there any possibility that I could get a loan? Uh, it may even be a home equity loan that I could pay this off and get a much uh, you know, lower rate of interest on it. Sometimes you can cut the interest in half or more and just save literally thousands of dollars over a period of several years. But you ought to, first of all, set your goal to, to get out of credit card debt because it's such, it's such an expensive thing. Um, and so if you, if you can refinance and get a cheaper rate, that's, that's certainly the way to go. But you also have to do long-range planning to say, how are we going to liquidate this debt? Because refinancing doesn't liquidate. It just gives you a lower interest rate. But how are we going to liquidate this? And I, I suggest start cutting back on some other areas and putting extra money on paying off that debt until you get it eliminated. And then commit yourself to a new lifestyle, uh, a lifestyle that says we're going to live within our means. We're not going to live on money we don't have. We're going to live on money we have. And most couples could lower their standard of living rather significantly and still have a wonderful life and not have to live under the burden and the expense of credit card debt. And again this morning, we're speaking to Dr. Gary Chapman. I'm Rodney Lear. You're listening to Sunday Morning Magazine. Now, Dr. Chapman, let me ask you this. For parents out there listening this morning that have teenagers that need the best of everything, they need that expensive cell phone, they need that expensive pair of jeans, as a parent, how do you teach your teenager to value money? Well, I think it, uh, ideally it starts early, that you teach children that there's a correlation between work and money, that you work and then you get money, and then you spend money or you save money or you give the money away. And if you start children early on that, that is, rather than simply giving them an allowance, even though that's, that is a positive thing because at least they learn how to spend money, they learn how to save money. But if they work for their money, they're far more likely to get the correlation between working and money. You see, we have a lot of, lot of young people who come to young adulthood who have no work ethic. They know how to spend money, but they don't know anything about making money or the correlation between the two. But if you start that early and give the children jobs to do and so much money for each job, then they learn that work and money go together. And consequently, in the high school years, they can even have part-time jobs outside the home where they're earning money and learning how to save, learning how to spend, and learning how to give money away. Uh, so, you know, it, it's a major area of parenting, teaching children the value of money and how to handle money in a positive way. And with that, we're out of time this morning. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us. Well, you're welcome, Rodney. It was great to be with you. All right. We've been talking to author Gary Chapman.